welcome to Miracle Nutrition with Hardy White. I'm Hardy White. Join me now, won't you, for a full hour of visiting and talking, and please don't worry about trying to figure out what's going on, because nothing's going on. Don't try to bring your reason, but don't try to bring your unreasonableness. I'll have none of that. Just love and kindness, friendship, and good times mixed with some dirt so we don't forget the dirt. There's dirt in our cereal. I don't have it uh, down quite yet, but I am beginning to learn how to use my voice percussively. I want to be able to, what they say, beatbox or human beatbox or mouth beatbox or mouth beat or mouth, all sorts of names for it. Chewing your food, we called it in my neighborhood. Um, because you could, if you have food in there, now they don't let you do that in competitions. I've noticed that. I've been looking online for the beatbox competitions and everything. They don't let you have a mouthful of masticated food, which adds another dimension. It's really, it's like Miles Davis playing with a mute. It gives you that kind of soft, distant kind of uh, sound. That isn't it. That was the Miles Davis sound, which is his signature. Well, he's got a bunch of different signatures. Isn't that lovely? It changes over time. It's not so good for your check cashing. But you say, well, I can spot that from a mile away because his signature is changing. John Hancock's got smaller and smaller as he became tinier because he diminished over time, as some of us do when we, when we age. And you say we lose a little height, but people back then would lose feet. And so a lot of times you start out as a six-foot adult, by the time you're 80, you're a foot tall. And um, because there wasn't photography, you know. And even if there were, you'd say, oh, that's forced perspective. Well, I'm glad you brought that up because I would like to discuss with you today the idea of forcing your perspective, but not visually like they do in The Hobbit. I'm not trying to make someone seem giant. And uh, another person seem like they aren't relative to the person that's closer to the camera or something like that. Oh, with the tricks that Hollywood has played on us. <laughs> but we should know going in. They used to, before you went in the movies, they would give you a pamphlet explaining to you how it all was done so that you wouldn't think it was some sort of witchcraft or sorcery or you wouldn't mistake the film for reality. And uh, it's, oh, I see. So everybody knew what matte painting or traveling matte was or something like that. They knew all those effects, forced perspective. In comes digital. Do you remember him? And he walks in boldly and he says, look, I can all be done on a computer. And then the computer figured out that I can just be everything. I don't need anybody. I can just, it can all happen in me. And I don't need the rest of anything all around me. If it's all taking place digitally, we'll just convert it to that. And uh, what about this outside world? This so-called analog. That's what it's... A con so analog is a corruption of the old expression, analog. Because you'd say, well, uh, what do you need for that job? You'd list all these things, analog. Because chunk of wood right? It's abundant. It's prevalent. And you always need it for something, no matter how complicated the project is. I was reading the other day, they was working on the NASA, and they were going to send a rocket ship up there. And they had all the computer parts, right? All the abacuses. And uh, back then, they had uh, slide rules they were using, you know, dials and everything like that, and a sextant. And um, you're giggling, but they did. And uh, things like that. And they were going to send it to the moon. And there was something missing. Say, we can't, this, uh, the rocket's toppling a bit. 
and a fella goes and he grabs a piece of firewood that they were going to use, and he puts that over there, and the rocket gets right again, and the whole thing is it all dependent on that that chunk of pr- that primitive. T- I'm, I'm reluctant to call it a tool, and I've called many thing or person a tool because they could be. You can be a tool, are you? And uh, you can do that for your community and say, I am. I want you to use me for uh, your community project or anything. You know, I know that I'm not the, I'm not the main subject, but I certainly totally want to be a tool. So uh, you can be. And, you know, the old thing is like, do you want to be, do you want to be a hammer or do you want to be a, a hammer screwdriver? Yes, that's a thing. Or hammer drill, rather. Yes, that's a thing. And you got to think about it. What do I need for this job? Overkill or extreme overkill? Subtlety doesn't always cut it. If you remember, there was a show on uh, PB. It's always PBS because they're reluctant. They're secretly Luddite and there was a show on PBS and it was just a fellow was going, I want to show you how to do things in case you ever get, if you ever touch a weeping angel and get thrust back into the 20s or something and don't have access to electricity or electric tools or everything. I'm going to show you how to make what you need to make with, I don't know, a plane, just all sorts of things like that. And he was called the old-timey man, Carpenter. And he wore a, news, a newsboy's hat and, and suspenders and wool underwear, and he'd pick at his seat there because it was uncomfortable to him. And, and he'd make tables and chairs and everything using just the tools that our great-great-great-grandparents would have heard of and hired people to use, I suspect. And uh, he was out there making things with him, all kinds of... Uh, you're going to giggle again, but he'd make joints, lots of joints. And there's different styles of joints, I suppose. And a dovetail is one of them that I heard Seth Rogen saying that he uh, liked. But they all come together like that. And uh, carpentry is not always literally carpentry. Now, I don't know anything about the Bible. I've got a, I'm telling you right now, I am no theologian or philatelist which is a stamp collector. But uh, in, the, uh, in the Bible, there is uh, some, you know what? Maybe I am a, I could have been a stamp collector. I don't know. I was going to say something about the, the, the New Testament. I don't, I don't remember what it was. I suppose that God has struck it out of my uh, brain. Now, of course, it was that there is a carpenter mentioned in someone's, Religious myth. I'm not going to say who. And I was thinking, is that a literal carpenter? All right. Because you remember the carpenters. And they were wonderful. Oh, Karen and her brother, Carl. And they made beautiful music together that people to this day are using at weddings. And they just don't realize what they're listening to. And, uh... Karen Carpenter, her surname was Carpenter, but she was like a jazz drummer. And she was one of the first ones that, that uh, you know, maybe not before Ringo, but she would drum and sing. And uh, nobody had it down like that guy. And then later, Phil Collins. And then I don't know, and I guess Andy Kaufman, he did some singing and drumming at the same, but at the, at the, at the Congo, Oh, my goodness, you don't have to, you, like they say, there are different drummers. And I don't, the expression is, we're all dancing to a different drummer in our head. And you'll notice that the tempo is, some people don't even have a metronome, but all the tempos are all out of sync. Who knows how many beats per minute you are dancing right now. I don't know. I can't mimic that. But we can join in the beautiful dance that is uh, human existence.
No, I don't know about that. I just wanted to make it sound like a lot of you are just tuning in and I wanted to give you something to hold on to. Oh my goodness, this show can be like a slippery shower and you're an old person. And you say, where's the, where's the handrails? Oh, you have not done your preparation. You have not planned to age in place. You have not put up the uh, guardrails. You're just fl- you're going to slip and fall. And then you're going to say, have to press your little thing. You know, I've fallen and can't get up. And that's going to be embarrassing. You lay there in the, in the nude. I mean, not literally. I just mean figurative. You're, you're, you don't know what I'm talking about. That's a type of nudity. And in comes the the rescue workers, and they say, what's your problem? And you say, oh, I'm confused or I'm disoriented and I don't know what the fellow on the radio is talking about. And they say, well, that's not exactly an emergency, is it? And you say, well, I did slip and fall down psychologically. But listen, you're not going to get hurt. This isn't a tub. It's a bottomless mikvah. It's just a pool. It's a, it's a, a well, not a scary well. It's a, uh, what's the difference between a well and just a, a soaking tub? Well, the height of the wall, you know, you don't want to have to step over a 20-foot brick wall before you get to the water because you might not be able to get up again. I learned this in North, North Florida sinkholes. So you go, look at that tantalizing swimming hole. <laughs> it's just down that, it's, if you can uh, scale a cliff to get back out of it, um, but I jumped in one one time, and I thought, oh, I'm just going to see. They're probably like cow bones going to float to the surface, and who knows what else is in here. Um, and I got out finally, but I thought, that's no place for, don't. Sinkholes are great and inviting. As I guess are, I've seen flooded quarries like that, too. Um, but they really are roach motels. You know, they're one-way traps. Like, oh, it's easy to get in thrust yourself. I had some uh, fly traps like that last season. Uh, it's a, basically just a jar of stench. And, and then it's just a, a basically just an, an architectural feature that confuses flies. So they, they get in, but then they can't figure out how to get out again. And I've been in buildings like that. You think you're being modern, but like, how do you get out of here? Um, so they're confused by the architecture, and then they they pl- they like plummet into this liquid liquid stench that they wanted to, they wanted to be in there so bad, and then uh, and then they perish. And why would you be killing flies? Well, when they swarm, you know, we have some fly problems around here sometimes um, because of all the evil, and it attracts flies and tiny little insects that are actually people, and you can see them grimacing and save me kind of thing. I can't. It is your fate to be have uh, dragonfly wings and be here for eternity, flying in the garden of disappointment. And, and is that what Kentucky is? No, not really. It might be. I don't know what it means literally. A lot of these places might have menacing, you know, names. They sound pretty in one language, but they could be horrid in another. And then sometimes, you know, uh, we have our individual languages. So if you've ever been to Florida or lived there, Florida might be a hurtful word to you. And you say, oh, when you say it, I may, it makes me, a, uh, you know, I, I shiver, you might say. It depends. You go, what did Florida do to you? And you go, well, what do you think? It's, uh, look at it. <laughs> what a place. Um. Oh, my goodness, it distracted me. Did you see that? Did you see Florida just took about the whole idea of it? So ideas are like spirits or demons that live in this world, and they just live in thought, and thought just takes place in biological creatures, right? And it stays here when we die. It doesn't, you know, it... So it's something that jumps from... Uh, it has to have a nice, warm, wet place to live, and that's why it propagates so much, so that it's not in any just one brain. It spreads around, you know, and that so it can stay alive when it's the host dies. And uh, that's what information does. So it lives in this world. It lives off of us. We are host to... Uh, uh, a parasite. Language is a parasite. Stories are parasites. They're parasitic. And there's, that's why they're spread around like that. And they just live in this world. We, can, we perish. 
You know, so we're already saying, oh, I'm afraid of the Matrix going to use my body as a battery. Dude. <laughs> you know, isn't it weird? Like things that all future say, oh, you know, 1984 is really about 1948. Yeah. AI. So anyway, uh, <clears throat> enslaved to these thoughts, you know, that are in everybody else's uh, brain as well. And that stay here. You know, some of them are giant. Some of them are big and, and big concepts. You know, they walk around. The, they're the, the big guys. In the and uh, you could call them memes. You know, they've been called. They were that one. I think Dawkins coined it. He meant like an idea, like fire. You know, not necessarily like oh, the surprised celebrity. Um, look at that person. They look self-satisfied. Put some words on it. I hear you. And then that's a meme. But that's not. So these demon ideas that jump around, some of them are very large, you know. And uh, um, so what are you saying, Ari? Well, I'm saying this. You know, you are a biological creature. And uh, it's weird how we feel kind of sorry for each other and ourselves. So there's something not quite, something out of sorts a little about these, this thing that lives in us. I think it's fallen in love with us. And uh, it's attached to us in a way. And uh, it's it's made itself uh, it's made us precious to it, uh, and that throws us out of whack too, and makes us tragic figures. Oh, what are you, what are you talking about? I was talking about furniture, I think, and doing it yourself. I don't have a lot of tools. I used to have more tools, and then uh, I went through that phase where you think kids are breaking in and taking them. Well, they're not. You're just misplacing them. And then I thought, oh, forget it. I don't want to. I don't want to do stuff like that anymore. I want to be ambitious about remaking my space. I used to be very much so. And say, I'm going to make, I'm going to put a Murphy bed every room. What's a Murphy bed? Well, if you used to watch old 30s comedies, it's this bed that folds up into the wall. And then you just kind of open some doors and a bed kind of comes down. You don't have to have to bed in the room all the time with you. Which I do think is like, if you've ever tried to decorate a bedroom, you go, wow, this huge Because be bedrooms are small uh, because we have to live in houses that are small, um, I don't, which is good. But then we think we're uh, royalty or something, and our bedding is too big. They can call it king and queen, and then the beds are half the room sometimes, and it's comical. Same with dining room tables. You go into a suburban house in America, and the dining room table takes up most of the room, I would say, a lot of times. If your chair is going to back up to the wall a lot of times. The bedroom, the bed is going to take up most of the room. It's going to be bed, bed, table. It's so funny. Uh, you know, let's go into the, the room of couch. There's a big, huge furniture. That would seem, it would seem big even in uh, San Clemente or something or whatever. What's, uh, what's the guy, uh, Kane, Citizen Kane's house, Rosemont. That's not what it's called. doesn't matter. Things have to change over time. And a lot of times things disappear. I was reading the other day they can't uh, play the Muppet Babies because it's got too much copyright infringement in it now. And you'll never see it ever again. So I was thinking about lying about what's in it. I think you could probably do that or creating a mythology. You know what's in that? The cure for cancer. And they won't let us see it because there's Star Wars clips or something like that. Uh, oh, there's so many things. What a storm we live in of information and strangeness. And I want to help you navigate it. What do you mean navigate it? Not navigate it. Let's say we're on a ship. All right. Are you going to help me navigate it, Hardy? No. I will show you a place to hide down below. We're going to go below, and then in down there in the hold, there's a place that we can hide. A little kind of, and I made a little nest in there and put some food. And I put a copy of Edgar Allan Poe's narrative of Arthur Gordon Pym. And I like to have that with me all the time. And it's, I, let's just call it my Bible. I haven't read it in many, many years. I don't remember how it ends. But it was one of my favorite 
favorite books at, a, at the time. I don't really like to revisit stuff. You know, nostalgia, it's so funny. It, I've, I've had a very difficult time teaching because they'd want me to sort of recall information. And I'd say, I've already thought about it. And you want me to talk about it again and again and again. Let's just move on. Let me tell you about something I'm interested in and in learning now, you know, which is the needlecraft or something like that. Um, whenever somebody I know passes away and they have a lot of information, they've gone to a lot of schools and everything, and they have a lot of, it just seems crazy to me because it's not all spread around, you know, evenly. And you wonder if sometimes the, the, there's too much gets put in one person. I know I don't have a lot, and it's going to be beautiful. I won't disrupt too much. I'm not taking too much with me because I've, I've actually spoken more than I've thought. I have recalled more than has actually happened to me. I have been on the radio for, I wonder if I've been on a year straight, like talking. I wonder if you added up all the hours. I could talk for a very long time because I don't feel that any pressure to make sense or to entertain. And I'm just hoping, so if you're not trying to entertain, what, the, what are you doing there even? Well, listen to me then. I'm, I'm gambling that I might be intrinsically entertaining like something at, a, uh, at the carnival. So, you know, you ask the chicken with an extra goat head on it, on, on its wing, you say, do you think you're special? Or I don't know any special skills. But yeah, but people might want to hang out with you a minute to just to, you know, marvel or something. All right, I guess that doesn't hurt me. That's the way I look at it. I don't see your show as a freak show, Hardy. Well, that's good. I think it's the word is the problem. Um, it's, the, it's the word. It's the, it's a, uh, because I really like, and we are drawn to, and I know there's downsides to, the kind of gritty local version of entertainment that used to be embodied in the circus and the carnival, kind of traveling shows and that aesthetic. And we, I feel like we long for it because it, we've become so distant from it a lot of times. But, you know, if you've missed out on the experience of being sort of like shocked and uh, weirded out and unsettled but also smelling animals and maybe not and maybe corn then I you know I, it's a it's a good feeling to me because uh, life has never stopped being simultaneously sort of titillating and menacing and horrifying, and painful, and delightful, and joyous, and uh, hellish at the same time, like granola, or muselix, is that right? How much stuff muselix have in it? Like five-way Cincinnati chili, but 12-way is what I'm thinking, and some of those things aren't food. Uh, that's been my experience in life, that it's just uh, the, the only thing that's common to all these experiences is they're, uh, they're there, or I don't really know. I don't, uh, it, it feels like a, a lot is going on. An orchestra, if you will. When I was a young child, I was taken to a performance of a symphony. And the symphony, I believe, was the Carnival of the Animals by which means without saints. I don't know. And the all of the instruments had a sort of animalistic synesthesia. In that they all were supposed to be a sound and like a different animal. Is that right? Am I doing the cadence? I want to make sure I've got like a sort of Andy Griffith naive uh, storytelling cadence here to this story. Because it feels like that. And my naivete, I'd never seen a symphony before. I didn't, you know, assigning animals to the sounds. I thought the ex 
here's the thing. I thought they, uh, the instruments were being explained to me. Maybe it was Peter and the Wolf, but it was something like that. The instruments were being explained to me in terms of their similarity to animal sounds. And that, that's my first exposure. Say, so, okay. So I don't see, like, it's like, is that an oboe? Or is that like a... Whatever animal does that. I don't know. I've forgotten. Um, oh, I forgot who's paired up with oboe. Some of the connections are poetic. You know, some instruments do sound like the thing that they... Uh, they mock. Not mock, but they imitate. Um, doesn't that the bark at the beginning of that Beastie Boys sound song sounds like an instrument almost, doesn't it? I guess it's Scooby Doo, but it sounds to me like almost like a saxophone or something. And um, and a lot of instruments are like that. So, oh, it sounds like the great the grand elephant, that bass fiddle. Uh, as the can you just picture him coming through the forest? Like that. I can when I hear the lower registers. I think large animals. and But there's large animals who have made small sounds before. Take, for instance, Abraham Lincoln. Now, a lot of people have seen depictions of Abraham Lincoln in the movies or on TV or advertisements. And Abe, coming in at almost 6'11", uh, was a large man. And he had a big head because he had Marfan syndrome or acromegaly or something. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> and <clears throat> so uh, he was uh, a, 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 he was a, uh, depicted as having a very booming. I uh, am um, you know this is a that's not quite right. That sounds like uh, Eugene Pellet. Um, this was a Abe Lincoln. That's it. It's about a whole while minus Abe Lincoln. Four scores seven years ago. My our forefathers brought forth under this nation. Why is he breathing heavy? I don't know. I know he's working in the coal mines, I guess. Uh, but here's the thing. We now know from back then, actually, that he didn't speak that way. Because when he spoke at Cooper Union University in New York. He spoke there one time, and someone wrote it down. They went, and um, they said he had a high nasally voice. Now, there's two things that could be going on. You know, the comedian Gallagher, I guess his brother did some of the appearances. So it could have been Ape Lincoln, this guy that went around doing Abe Lincoln at the same time, Ape Lincoln. And he really was related to Abe. I believe he was a cousin. And he looked just like him. And when he cut his beard, he looked just like Lincoln. He would go around to major cities and he would do speeches. And the only difference is that Ape Lincoln had a very high-pitched voice. And he sounded like this. And I would go walking in and looking through the woods. Like that, high lonesome. And interesting, he was just from the same area and everything as, as uh, his cousin. And I don't believe he had a law degree. Now, Abe Lincoln had a law degree. Because back then you could get one in, in a cabin. Just look at in parchment. And occasionally somebody, uh, a posh, would come by and say, All right, and give, and give you imprimatur, is what they call it. And stamp some kind of waxy seal uh, upon a piece of paper. And say that you could represent people in court. And there were lots of them. And back in Kentucky in the day, there were so many land disputes that there were all these lawyers and courts. And Kentucky to this day has hundreds and hundreds of counties or something. I don't know. It is like that. It's only like 200 counties or something. He's like, it can't be. It is. Look it up. It's extraordinary. 190 or I don't know what it is. 300. It's just dispute, dispute. Love that, but lawyer, the lawyers come in like um, fatwood and just fuel the fire. It's beautiful, and it gets more. Everything gets more beautifully litigious. And Abe Lincoln and Ape Lincoln, they make appearances together. Then and they um, they do duets. I imagine you know, you know. I love to live in the woods. I love to live in the city. 
I like to build a good cabin. I like to take some tea with me. And then we get... I can't do it at the same time. That's the only thing. They could because they were actual two different people. I'm not. And uh, if it weren't for linear time, uh, what would I do? I couldn't do two voices at the same time. That's not possible. I have to switch back and forth. And I can only do that because of the way time works. And if it didn't, I think I could layer it. I could layer voices. Could you imagine doing that where I, I, I hey, I'm arguing with you. Yeah, you're arguing with me. And you can hear it at the same time. Like there's overlap and you go, that, isn't, that can't be the same person. But that would be because I manipulated time somehow. I slowed it down or stopped it. That can't be done. But in the meantime, we can use our imaginations or we can get friends to help us. Wouldn't that be delightful? There's some things you can't do alone. I mean, hearing me? Am I hearing you? Uh, you got to have a friend come in and give you, um, help you do. Like move, like, you know, I'm giggling now, but you know, I mean, move a piano. I believe it was Bernard Wiggins. Is that his name? Higgins? The late, who you know from Doctor Who as being Wilford who said, um, Wright said, Fred, um, two of us together, one each, and steady as she goes. Don't get a hernia. Something, something. I don't know. But he's right, you know? And then they can't do it, and then they have tea. It's a beautiful song. And I've heard it done so beautifully at weddings, just a cappella. Or somebody with a sweet voice, a voice like an angel's. Always somebody like that in the family. And uh, nowadays they might. That oldest baby for right safe. Like that could be like that. I've heard it done. I've heard it done in a beautiful baritone. I've heard it done just on. Uh, bagpipes, oh, that'll bring tears to you, right, said Fred, on bagpipes over a grave. This is all very, it's all very British, Hardy. Yes, isn't it? I'd love to go back. I was in London uh, so briefly. Um, I was being detained. And then they let me go, and I was off again. But I was like, I miss it already. And I was in the Tower of London. And it was actually in County Hall which has been converted to prisons. And I was in that cell and I could see the Thames. It's on the south side of the Thames. I'd look out of my prison cell wall through the bars. I'd have to stand on my cellmate, on his shoulders. That's that high up because it's old. You know those old, beautiful high ceilings they have in the prisons. And I'd look out of that and over to the Thames and I'd see the Waterloo Bridge there before me. <gasps> Is that... Um, uh, Winchester Cathedral and the Tower Big Ben and the rosy red cheeks of little children. And then there was silence because I was being sent home. That's the door, the key opening the door of my cell prison guard came in and escorted me out. It's time, governor. He called me governor because he has dementia. And he thinks, it's time to go to Heathrow. And I say, I don't know. And he meant the airport. And we went and I flew off and they gave me a blanket and a, a lozenge and I got COVID and I came home and it was magical. It was absolutely magical. And I've never, uh, I've never tasted, um, what did I have? What was unusual? That I have? I'm trying to think if I had a food I'd never had before. Well, mushy peas we don't have very often. And um, I was smitten. And my friend, Irene Moon, she said, I want, they don't give you enough. What is there, a shortage? She was really irate. She goes, what, are, what is this? What are they, what are they gold? Because they were, it was like a dollop. Because we got fish and chips, 
and uh, they gave us a dollop of the of the uh, mushy peas, mushy mushy peas. Babel babble. Garage garage peas, and uh, I was with her. I said, "Man, I could eat. I don't know whether it's a southern thing, but I think I could have a bowl of them, and uh, I might need to." hot sauce them up or something but they are they're tasty i like i like the i like to have my protein snuck to me in beans sometimes mostly i like it in powder but sometimes i take my protein in beans or things like that or i just get it out of the air there's so much of it did you know that there's a high protein uh content in human dander so a lot of times if I see somebody scratching, I'll go over and huff real close to them. And that would draws the, or lap up the air like that. And it draws in the ambient, it's called ambient protein, ambient proteins and salts. Like that. People think I'm like a lizard person, but I'm not. I'm just licking up the, uh, the, the sloughed off skin. And uh, otherwise it settles and that becomes like the dust and accumulation in a, in a room. What do you think that stuff is? You know, it's, just, it's precipitating from, it's, you think it's the ceiling raining down? <clears throat> no, it's you. It's you dissipating slowly, turning into uh, dust and fuzz. That's oh, beautiful. It's beautiful. You let it be. Don't let the things in your head confuse you. Put something else in there. What? Well, there's other things floating around, I believe. Where'd that come from? Don't know. I don't know how any of this works. I know that do, sometimes, yeah, you make it, so there are ideas that have been, floating here and they people make new ones and they get passed around and um but some of them might you know like uh biological life when involved some of them may never have been viable i wonder about all the discarded ideas you know, all the ideas that never got articulated or never got passed on or just people let's say people in one village had some kind of story or thing or idea and it's really very much lost to history and somehow even though you think, oh, the odds of probability that idea may crop up again, let's say it never does. It never does. Because in a way, some of the ones that are here can get set in stone like a mountain. An idea can become like a mountain and immovable. Absolutely. And you just start building on it and taking it for granted and say, oh, that's the terrain. That's just the way things are. I mean, that's just reality or something. You never consider that, oh, maybe the very foundation of the thing is wrong. Maybe everything, the entire, everything I've based every thought on is absolutely wrong. So what is, what is right then, Hardy? Oh, if only it worked that way. Here, I'll give you a replacement. I'm not saying, oh, don't drink milk. Here's oat milk. I have, you know, I'm, I just say, what is, there's a very good possibility that every, everything that you think is wrong. And you think, well, it can't, I, I, I believe a lot of things, but they have a foundation. And if that's wrong, you know what I mean? Like that building that collapsed, the condo that collapsed in Miami. Boy, that shook me. Just the loss of life. Like, was, and how fast it happened, just the building went. And it's, it's undermined. It got undermined. And that's all that has to happen. I mean, if it just waited for the rot from the top, you know, that takes some time and, you know, but, but things can be rapidly undermined. What are you saying? Oh, I wish I didn't have to use words, but they make you use words sometimes. They don't make you do anything, man. You can just make sounds. I'm not confident of their effectiveness. I mean, I could uh, I, I, I evoke certain emotions with them, I bet just making silly noises with my mouth, or if I got more complex and had musical instruments and everything, I could do something, you know, tap in to your memory of other better songs by doing something that sounds a little like that. And then those emotions come back. I don't have to generate fresh ones. I just, you know, I trigger something. I could do that with, with art. Or I could just... Um, Another thing is to really depend on the, con of the content of the words and just maybe speak in a monotone and not try to express anything through the variation of tone or volume in the words and just speak like a robot and convey the ideas like that. And how entertaining is that? It feels like that poor actress on Small Wonders 
the 70s sitcom that baffles to this day. A little robot girl comes to visit. Uh, I don't know. The, the dad makes a robot child girl, and she lives with a robot daughter. They miss it, though, because it, it should, there's a son and everything like that. It shouldn't be like, the dad, the, the very first episode should be, whole family dies. And then he makes the sort of like replacement Pinocchio girl child. And then he remarries. And she has a, a child. I don't know if that's a setup for Small Wonder, but that would be better. I wish I was doing television back then. To miss your calling by just that much. That's the thing. Like, I could, and I could have been, I think, hired as a television writer in the 70s as a 12 year old. But it's just, I don't know, I didn't know quite how to make it happen. But I feel like I really had the chops in about sixth grade. It felt like that. It felt real good, you know? I had really, I had memorized all my mom's Shelley Berman albums. And I was writing my own stuff, and I was doing kind of multimedia stuff even. I was doing stuff with pictures and integrating that kind of... And, uh, you know, and I held on a little through uh, high school. Uh, college, you start to think, well, maybe I should... Maybe maybe this is, you know, maybe uh, rather than performance art, I should band. You know, everybody's doing sort of band. Pop. I don't even know what that means, but like bar band kind of thing. And I think, well, I'm not very good at that. Uh, but my problem is not the musicianship, it's taste. It's just, I have terrible taste. I can't imagine playing music that people would enjoy. Um, I could play music all day long. But, you know, when you do it in front of people, some there's got to be this component of acceptance. Um, unless they're paying for the rejection. That could be, too. I, I guess there's some uh, music that's supposed to be aggressive and hostile, and they love it when it is. But um, mine would just be like, I don't know. I would think mine, what did I sound like when I played music? I'd say, what if, what if Frank Zappa wasn't, was, a, was not very good at his instrument and also had no self-confidence? So he wasn't arrogant either. So I was like, you know, at least I wasn't full of myself. Um, but I did realize that stage, you don't let that uh, out on stage. Oh, nobody wants to see... That, you know, I just want to let you know, uh, before I do my presentation, that I am a charlatan. Uh, I am uh, fooling you. I am uh, on purpose. Um, just to let you know, no, I am not a true believer. Yes, it's a cynical fooling. That kind of thing. I'm not fooling you. Though. Who's fooling? How? There's nothing to fool you into. Like, what are you trying to sell me, Harney? There you go. Nothing. What are you trying to convince me of? Are you trying to edify me? I'll think about that one. I'm going to look it up and then I'm going to get back to you and tell you whether I'm doing that or not. Well, what are you trying to do? Educate me? No. That feels arrogant. No, no. Uh-uh. I feel like what I'm doing is demonstrating something. And then you, what you're just watching or listening or something. I'm not... Trying to get through to you, uh, uh, and all my life's been like that. You know, just uh, just let people watch. Don't you don't think about the reaction. Okay, just do that weird stuff you do, and they'll be fine. All right, just do it unselfconsciously, and you'll be all right. Just speak the way you d were speaking in the train car when that circus impresario found you and discovered you and brought you to where you are today. And made you who you are, Hardy White. And that is, what is that? A radio sideshow act. And I love it. I love it. I hope you enjoy the rest of the carnival while you're here. Some of them are tricksters. Some people really do have uh, true talents and other people are pretending. So the, the fellow that swallows the swords, that sword's going in, I think. I don't know that that's a collapsible sword. I had one of those. There was a practice Tai Chi sword I had that was collapsible, and I would, like, go, oh, look, it's going into my guts, and nobody bought it or anything. But um, So I think he's doing a real one. The person that is pretending is the boy whose life has been destroyed by drugs. 
Um, that's Garrett, and he's fine. Uh, that's just the thing. See, he doesn't do anything yet. We're teaching him some sideshow skills, um, but he doesn't want to do a lot of the things. He doesn't want to hammer nails in his nose. I don't blame him. And there's nothing. He doesn't have anything. He's very ordinary. Um, he didn't have any standout feature, exciting standout feature, like is what we call them. Or compelling. That's it. Compelling feature. So, and uh, he says, well, play keyboard. Uh, you know, that's not quite it. So could you pretend to be, have your brain just destroyed by, by drugs or something? People like to just look at, uh, just like, uh, you could sit there with your tongue hanging out or whatever, or reading. Maybe it's your literature choice. I don't know what you'd um, be, I don't even want to say it. Because it'll sound, anything I say will sound catty. Because the funny joke there would be the boy whose brain has been destroyed by drugs to demonstrate that he is completely addled by this abuse. He is reading and then and then you put some Virginia Woolf thing in there, right? To get really a dig. Like some, seri like some book that should be taken seriously. But I don't want to do that. A, first of all, I'm not up on, on modern fiction a lot of it i just can't keep up on i feel like all the authors have the same name i don't know i have name blindness and um and other thing i don't want to diss some people i would and i don't know if i just like picked that a philosopher's name it would just be because i have a familiarity with the name not the work so i didn't want to do that it's hard it's hard doing uh, doing that, and I wouldn't want to be on either Match Game or the writing staff of a TV sitcom. Would you want to do that? God bless the people who, who, who do that. I put them in the same, they're the same category to me as nurses and just other healthcare workers who do the hard work. I mean, someone's got to like, it's a, it's the, it's like changing bedpans. It's better than, I mean, the benefit is, you say, well, what, what, you're putting it down. No, the benefit is huge. I'm just saying, like, I know it can't be, is it fun? It, it can't be fun. Um, but the, I love what the, the eventual uh, thing that's made is, a, is such a beautiful thing and worth it. And you think all that pain, all these intestinal problems. But man, I got that joke in that last ghosts or something. I don't know. I, I wish I could. I will. I will. I could sell you a joke if you want. I could. They won't be good, but I, maybe it'd be in the joke form, and they would not be hurtful. So, oh, I don't want any of that correct stuff. Well, it'd be grammatically correct, but I, other than that, I don't know. I just like to do things that don't kick down or you know. Call me a reverse bully, but, um, and I love absurd humor. And, and also there was a children's book called this and it's so true. And that is everybody poops. So you can't go wrong there. And well, that's the lowest common denominator. It's a common denominator and I'm not uh, above going that low to get to go that com that common. I mean, if you are going to open, that's the thing. You ever conceive, so I'd love to have this business. And then you realize that you have to open the business to the public. And then you realize that you don't quite know who the public are. You suspect, but you're, you know, and then you meet them and you are rightly horrified. And you think, how can I possibly narrow my clientele to people who don't horrify me or something? So, uh, uh, you know, you end up having some... I'm going to have a cafe, and there's just, we just play Go. I don't know. But uh, otherwise, you know, I want to open a supermarket, and you'll be prepared. The denominator there is very common. So uh, it's beautiful. Everybody needs radishes. I guess they don't. What's something everybody needs? What's a vegetable you can't live without? I mean, at some point, you have to eat one, or you will perish. I think you have to or take that kind of vitamin in. And what is the least objectionable vegetable, I wonder? Carrot, maybe? I don't know. I've never even thought about it. 
I don't want to think. The comment board's going mad. I think broccoli. It's how you prepare it. I find it interesting that Brussels sprouts have gone through a bit of a revival. In my day, they were sort of uh, eschewed, and you'd certainly never see them in a gourmet setting. But nowadays, you find them in both casual dining and fine dining, and they are cooked until they're crisp. Yes, the crispy Brussels sprout is the new blackened redfish. I don't know, but it does, every once in a while, somebody say, uh, there's a, a chef will, uh, Emperor's New Burn something, and they'll burn something, they'll say, this is exquisite. And they'll catch on for a while. There's always some kind of burned food that you'll find that is, that is being touted. They'll just burn it. Really? Yeah, we've been doing it wrong. So, uh, I don't know if this is, what are you doing? It sounds like you're distracted. I was kind of harvesting something from my lip. There's something on my harvesting. Well, I'm up, because I'm going to check it out later. I don't know. I'm on the radio right now. I'm not going to look at what kind of scum stuff is on my lip. I'm going to look at that later. I'll put it over here. I have um, a lot of people use them to organize their pills for days of the week. But I put I used to put stuff that I pick off myself that I want to look at later. Like it's like, oh, there's something on my hand. I'm not going to look at it now because if it's a tick or something, I'm going to freak out. I don't want to deal with it. I'll look at it later and I'll put it in a little pill case, the little pill, pill caddy. No, I'm, I'm joking with you. I was a pill caddy at this really messed up golf course where my job was basically to go around and make sure everybody was in the state of mind that they needed to be. And there was a couple famous radio people there. It was like, you are, you're bankrupting me on the strong stuff. And they were, they were like, you know, buffalo when it came to uh, all, the, all the pills and everything. But bless them all. Bless them all. I would keep it in Pez dispensers and I'd try to keep, you know, which is the, the Oxycontin is, is uh, Popeye. And then they begin to ask for them like that, you know? You know, I want uh, Yosemite Sam's. You know, you got a big, big date tonight, huh? And, uh, but I don't, they don't even have those at golf courses anymore. And they, where they really don't have them is the municipal golf courses. It's all that upscale stuff. And I don't want to work for them anymore. I'm tired of it. I'm tired of it. But you used to be able to get, I used to get good work licking cleats. Like the really wealthy, they get really tired of just wiping their cleats on artificial turf or anything or whatever before going in the clubhouse where there are no cleats allowed unless you've had them licked clean by um, somebody like myself and everything. It would just, it's a mixed, I like just laying there. So for me, a lot of it was easy because, uh, but then your mouth gets so dry and then you start saying, oh, the only thing that's really going to satisfy this is a beer. And then, you know, uh, they add up. It's hard. Things get hard. And I recognize that. And that when I go on the radio, I think that part of my job is to heal. Let me take that back. Back in the day when there were people that would show up with wounds in hospitals, there was the problem that uh, the wound would maybe not heal correctly because there was uh, dirty and necrotic flesh at the edges of the wound. And the wound first needed to be cleaned and have that necrosis and, 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 and filth and pus and all uh, taken away. And what they found is they could use maggots and maggots to clean the wound. And I know that your soul right now might be uh, wounded. It may be torn open and there's, it, it doesn't, they don't repair quickly. You know, when you've had psychic damage because of uh, tragedy or just the world, the, the violence in the world, um, the wounds can be gaping and they really, they stay open. Other things get in them. You don't have the emotional strength all the time to combat what's going on. Um, to keep from spiraling into de depression or to anxiety or, or worse. And so I, I want to help you begin the process of healing by eating the rotting flesh. I want to be a spiritual maggot. And someday, yes, I will transform into a beautiful fly. 
and I can still keep eating poo then out of your wound. But I guess I do my best work as a maggot. And I eat the I eat the necrosis and then the, the wound there is 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 been all cleaned up and it's ready to heal. You are now ready to heal. And then how do we heal? I don't know. I can get I can I guess read some books. There's all sorts of things. There's places you can go online. I don't know about the healing part, but I, uh, I can keep... You know what might help, though, is, is knowing that the wound's been acknowledged. Because I don't feel like we're all... You know, there's so much suffering in the world. You say, well, how does my suffering mount up? This comparative suffering is just... Uh, causes additional torment, you know? Uh... So how, how, how do I know there's enough suffering? Well, how, if you, how do I know that, how do you know you're suffering enough given, you know, what you deserve versus uh, compared to others and everything? And then I would just have to say for that, please consult your clergy. I am not there. That is a, that is a really, that's a religious question. Um, how much suffering you deserve and you need and everything, blah, blah, blah. And those are very interesting, but boy, it's way outside my abilities. That's, you know, that's like coming to me, say, what cut of meat do I need for like, blah, 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 blah. Stop right there. I'm not a butcher. So blah, 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 blah. Stop right there. I'm not a preacher. Stop, blah, 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 Stop right there. I'm not a psychologist. Um, what else am I not? Um, elementary school teacher. Sometimes I could teach you. Occasionally I can teach you something if I remember it. Like I read it and then real quickly, if you ask, if I run into you after I've just read something, that's the time to catch me. Or I'm, maybe I'm even mid YouTube video and say, you know, now is the time to ask me this recipe. Because if we wait, it's going to be gone. And uh, even if it's not, I won't remember to tell you. Oh, bless you. Oh, so many of you. Oh, my mind's a little chaotic like yours, Artie. Thank you. I told you nobody's original. We're all, yes, we're all. Isn't it amazing? I love the ones that have the, there's some people that have the same things, basically, in there. I'm not even related to them. And you go, yeah, we have the same mom, but we're not related. That's so weird. That's totally possible, too. We have the same, we grew up in the same house, but we don't even know each other. And then there's people that have a very different experience, you know. I, I grew up in the hull, hull of a ship. A hell of a ship? No, the hull of a ship. Oh, I thought you said I grew up in a hell of a ship. Well, that's great, man. It'd be great to grow up on a cruise ship, wouldn't it? No, you're getting it wrong. Um, I don't want to start something. Bless you. I'm glad it's not a conversation. Oh, I can't imagine the accidental harm I would do if I tried to uh, make it a response thing. I know how that works out in real life. Like, I've got to get out of here before I say something stupid. It's just, I feel like it's... A, don't you feel like that? Some of you just are brimming. I'm talking to somebody. I'm thinking like, oh, I, I love this person so wonderful. I want them to like me. I think the best way would be that this right now, we just part ways... Because I feel like right now, you got, if you're liking me right now, let's, I'm going to go off into the restroom for uh, 45 minutes. Because I'm just, uh, no, I don't feel, I try not to feel that way. I think I used to in my youth. And I'm getting much, much better and accept people, uh, their their love, their rejection equally now. And it's not that it doesn't matter to me. It's just, it's beautiful. It's there, oh, but it's gone, bloop. That's okay. I understand that now. I don't think that the breakfast roll has to last all day. Oh, you are listening to Miracle Nutrition with Hardy White on WFMU, East Orange, WMFU, Mount Hope at 91.9 in Rockland County in New York City, New York, and online at WFMU.org. Worldwide Freeform Radio, the way is from radio. 
And you are listening to WFMU. That's what you do. That's are you. And you like your humor. And you like me too. And you like the radio. <laughs> There's is a guy. He sits alone. He kills some time at the end of a show. Boom, boom. What's that? Another show. Uh-oh. It's time to go.
Girl, you drive me crazy, my lady. 